This is the Time Out with Shore Sports Podcast, covering sports on the shore with Mark Potter and Mike Bradley, presented by the Preston Automotive Group. Now, here are your hosts, Mark and Mike. Time Out with Shore Sports, presented by the Preston Automotive Group. This is episode 54. Thanks for listening. This portion of the podcast sponsored by our friends at Perettenmoy Therapy Associates, located at 460 Main Street in Stevensville. Let Rick Perett and the staff get you back to feeling new again, accepting most insurance policies. So step away from the pain by calling Perettenmoy Therapy Associates at 410-604-2982. Mark Potter and Mike Bradley with me here on the podcast. Hey, man, I tell you what. We're going dancing, baby. Yeah, Mark, uh, we're excited. I mean, I think it would still, even though it's been 13 years, I still remember it fairly fresh in, our, in my mind, at least. I don't know about you, about you know going to Baltimore and, and M&T Bank Stadium and Queen Anne's when they took on Eastern Tech on that cold day where it snowed. But, you know, remembering the, t- the tailgating that the – that the fans were doing, that the parents of the players, and how much joy that uh, that brought them, and, and bringing the community together. And uh, Ken Island now gets to experience that for this coming Friday, and we're thrilled because you know we live with these teams, and you know we do try to put together as uh, down the middle of broadcast as possible. But when it's Bayside playing outside of the Bayside, yeah, we have a rooting interest, and we want to keep seeing at least one of these teams, if not multiple, you know, go all the way to the championship. And so when they lose, you know, we lose. We feel it. But, yeah, uh, they uh, they uh, advance to uh, the championship game for the first time for a Bayside team since 09. Yeah, and yeah, there's no doubt we were homers when it came to Stephen Decatur because we were pulling for them in their game against Milford Mill and, uh, you know, you and I talked uh, just about all the way home, keeping updated as to what was happening. And it boiled down to uh, Milford Mills scoring a touchdown with 50 seconds left in the ball game, And then they went for two and ended up winning uh, 40 to 33. But, but a valiant effort for the Decatur Seahawks, who were not expected to be this good this soon. No, no, certainly not. And look, they did have some key players back this year, but no, generally, I don't think anyone was expecting them to get to the semifinals, and some may not have thought that they would even go to the quarterfinals, for that matter. But they went as far, I mean, they exceeded expectations, and then some, and to be right there within a minute of going to the championship game and almost giving us our first all-Bayside championship at the state level since the mid-90s, I guess, with Kent and Cambridge, um, man, oh, man. I mean, that was uh, – it was heartbreaking, but at the same time, they have a lot to feel happy about, and it may take some time to get over the loss, I'm sure, but they have every reason to hold their heads up high. And, really, they've set the bar where next year, you know, we'll see what they do. Uh, they, <laughs> they've set some lofty goals for themselves, but they'll have to do it without – you know, Mur- uh, Luke Murgott, who was a big part of that team this year. You know, when you look at Decatur and you look at Ken Island, I mean, uh, there are two coaches right there that are big proponents of the Bayside and, and the teams and the players that compete within the conference. I mean, Jake Coleman has talked many a time about many a different players, and Sofanowski has too. You know, and when you know, Decatur needed to make the trip last week uh, to go beat uh, Potomac and Oxen Hill, 
you know, they actually stopped at Kent Island and and they had food there and they were able to practice a little bit there to break up the trip and it just it's so cool to see Bayside teams while they're playing each other and it's very competitive. Boy, they step up for one another when when they go out of conference. No, that's absolutely right, and you hit it on the head. They both are very big proponents of, of the Bayside and Eastern Shore football and, and trying to bring the respect that they feel like uh, that they haven't gotten over the years. And we were talking about Friday night before the end of the Decatur game that you know maybe it's going to take not one but two teams to get to a championship to start getting that respect. Still, though, I, I hope, and again, it's something that all behind the scenes you know put in my two cents about is that you know the Eastern Shore needs to be looked at more and taken uh, you know and given more respect uh, than they should. But you're right. I mean, two guys that uh, are, are two of the best in the Bayside, and uh, it shows with the success that their teams have had. And you know, you look at Decatur, Mark, real quickly, and you know for a number of reasons, including some family stuff where you know Coach Knox put family first, and you give him all the credit. He wasn't just paying lip service; the family comes first. But you know, Decatur had fallen on hard times since 2013 so you know or 2014 i'm trying to remember which but you know 14 15 16 17 18 19 and uh, and then there was no season in 20 you know for five or six year stretch that program that once averaged seven wins a year with with coach knox had fallen on hard times they're back and in such a quick turnaround at a 180 to do what they've done and get to the semifinal for the first time since 04. That is a major tribute to Jake Coleman, but it also shows, though, that they have the resources and the commitment there, and they have the talent in Worcester County uh, to do what they're doing. Absolutely. Let's turn our attention to Kent Island because they were pretty impressive on Friday night uh, as well. This portion brought to you by our friends at the Edge Training Academy, where passion meets performance, located in Stevensville at 112 Log Canoe Circle in the Chesapeake Bay Business Park, offering 24-hour gym access. More information at the Edge trainingacademy.com so the team that Ken Island played on Friday uh, the Middletown Knights in their playoff games they had outscored their opponents 98 nothing and Ken Island and Middletown boy they were in a scoreless dogfight through the whole first half although Ken Island they had a chance and they missed the opportunity a 31 32 yard field goal from Max Barba uh missed and with that in mind we go to the half knotted at zero so while Middletown kudos to them for outscoring all their opponents 98 nothing throughout the playoffs you know Ken Island hadn't given up any points either to a team that was pretty dynamic offensively Yeah, I mean, both teams really didn't have any challenge in the playoffs up until Friday. And, you know, we thought that uh, Wicomico might give them more of a challenge, but, you know, their star guys were not 100% health-wise. And, yeah, both teams had rolled, so this was the toughest challenge for both teams. So it, it, in a lot of ways, it wasn't a surprise that you know, the uh, the domination didn't continue because you get to the semifinals, you don't expect a blowout. But both teams very good, and it, despite the seeding, I think we all felt like Middletown coming from Frederick County and maybe the best conference in the entire state, top to bottom, that they were going to give Ken Island a game. The thought was Ken Island was going to be able to win it and maybe run the ball better than they did. 
and they did win it, but it uh, it was a challenge, that's for sure. It was, but at the same time, it was game, came down to a game of adjustments. And Sofanowski and the rest of his offensive minds, they got together, and he had talked in the postgame interview with you about making some adjustments and, and being a little bit more patient. And, uh, and you saw that uh, with Casey Heath in the second half, as that's where he got a bulk of his yards. Yeah, and Casey Heath, we've talked about him. He's really good at reading the play, at being patient, scraping down the line as a running back, not a linebacker, although he does both, and, and, and you know, getting the yardage where the holes are. And sometimes it's not always where the play's drawn up. But you're right in the first half uh, with him, it was more just he was going where the play was drawn, and Middletown was geared up clearly to stop the run, and no shock there. But, you know, they may have looked like on tape Ken Island would dominate them uh, earlier or have their way to a decent extent. That didn't happen. Uh, but in the second half, some adjustments and maybe, yeah, more patient running certainly paid off uh, for, uh, for Ken Island. Let's not forget, you know, Ken Island took advantage of that turnover by Middletown, or, or excuse me, did not take advantage of that turnover by Middletown late in the first half. And there was a play in which it looked as if McAndrew should have given it to Heath he pulled it out, maybe trying to make a play there uh, outside of what was called. And uh, you know, Coach Sofanowski was not happy with him whatsoever. But they blew a big opportunity there. We were wondering if that was going to come back and hurt him. Thankfully, it did not. No, it, it didn't. And they were able to persevere, which was uh, absolutely incredible. What a game. Casey, he two touchdowns. Uh, he finished the day 27 carries, 134 yards. Keegan O'Brien, five carries, 29 yards. Austin Holland, one carry, three yards. And McAndrews, six carries for one total yard. Uh, ended up with 167 yards on the ground. Uh, Middletown on the other side of the ball, That Carson Smith, He's a beast. 25 carries, 105 yards, and just ran so hard. And I like which, uh, like what Tim Goodrich said in the, his postgame interview with uh, Bill Hoffey. He said there's a reason that guy is going to the U.S. Army. Right, right. But, hey, give Ken Island credit. And, Mark, uh, for my memory, and correct me if I'm wrong, he didn't have too many big runs, though. No. So, Ken Island, you know, he may have averaged four yards a carry, but he didn't have – I don't think he had a run bigger than maybe maybe 10 to 15 yards, but that would have been the max. So the defense did a good job at at least making sure he didn't get, get big junk plays. Yeah, and he didn't get into the end zone until the third quarter. He did have the one rushing touchdown. Uh, Cam Baker for them, eight carries, seven yards. Hayden Smith, two carries, 14 yards. But it was 127 yards on the ground for Middletown. And they only passed for 27 yards. So the Kent Island defense only gave up 154 yards of offense uh, to Middletown, which is quite impressive. Yeah, I mean, it was a defensive game, especially in that first half. And uh, that's Kent Island's calling card. But to do it in a semifinal game against the back going to the to the Army, or going to Army, that is, against a very physical Middletown team that matches up well with Ken Island. That, again, just speaks highly of the Buccaneers' defense, but something they've been doing since, really, week two of the season. Let's talk about Tommy McAndrews. He ended up with 108 yards passing on the day, 5 of 11. That took the offensive production for the Buccaneers to 275 yards on the day. But Tommy McAndrews did not have a good day. It was a rough day. I mean, we talk about 
play at the end of the first half where it looks like he was trying to, you know, uh, make, a, make a play outside of what was called, and that led to a fumble instead of Kent Island being able to score there and go up 7 nothing at the half. Uh, he also had a play in the red zone where he looked right and then came back left and threw a ball that was almost returned for a pick six. It just took too long, and in the red zone, you can't take all that time and make a play because the defense will break on it. Um, yeah, and there were some throws. I mean, look, the touchdown pass that they had or, or the pass that got them within the five-yard line, that was tipped off a of safety's uh, hands that was caught by the wide receiver. Yeah, He didn't. He didn't have a good day, uh, but they were able to overcome it regardless. Yeah, Austin Holland, the one that reeled that in, uh, right. in, in that uh, wingback position. I want to talk about the Maryland State 2A championship that's coming up. That's brought to you by Midshore Exteriors. Handling your roofing, siding, and gutter needs across the shore. Every detail matters, so let the Master Elite GAF certified and Shingle Master Roofers take care of your home or business today. More info at midshoreexteriors.com. When I talked to Coach Matt Griffith after the game on Friday night and the game with um, the uh, uh, with Mill for Mill and Decatur had just finished, his quote, and I don't know if he wanted me to say it or not, but I'm going to say it, his quote is, Ken Island just got themselves a state championship. He believes that Ken Island is going to be so much better than Milford Mill. Yeah, I mean, I still need to do some homework on on you know on the game. Get uh, Milford Mill giving up 33 points to Decatur, but Decatur runs a multiple type offense. Although I don't. Think they're as good a team as Ken Island is, but then Ken Island's not the passing. You're breaking up. You're going to have to pull over. Something where you <laughs> take a look at it and say, you know, Milford Mill defensively, is it easier for them to gear up against Kent Island than it is against Decatur? So that's something you have to take a look at. And then, yeah, I mean, Kent Island's defense has played great all year. The team the ball. And Kent Island's better geared at stopping the run than stopping the pass. It sounds to me like Griffith is saying that he thinks Ken Island can run the football and it's off the field. That's my, um, I guess that's my takeaway surface from that comment. Yeah, you're you're in a bad signal area. You're breaking in and out with us. So, um, you know, hopefully you can find a good area and stop for a second. So, uh, <laughs> Mark Potter, Mike Bradley, we are talking high school football, and uh, of course the. Ken Island Buccaneers are headed to the Maryland State Championship. They are going to be playing the Milford Mill Academy Millers. And uh, that one is going to kick off rather early on Friday. Yeah, 3.40 will be our Roto-Rooter pregame show as a part of the Overtime Live Preston Ford Game of the Week presented by Best Western Plus Easton for all seasons and Kona Ice. The Bear kickoff slated for 4 o'clock. It'll be the first of two games that day at Navy Marine Memorial Stadium. Uh, the, uh, con- the state championship for the 4A will take place on uh, Thursday night at 7 o'clock. C.H. Flowers and Quench Orchard, that's going to be a good one. And then, of course, Mill for Mill and Ken Island at, uh, in the 2A at 4 o'clock. And then at 7.30, another really good game, Arundel and North Point. They're going to play in the 4A-3A game at 7.30. And, Mike, those are two really defensive football teams. North Point beating number one seed Urbana 17-0 and number three Arundel beating two seed Dundalk 6-0. 
Yeah, I think for Arundel, I think it's their first uh, state championship since 75. It's, it's crazy. It's been a while. Uh, but, yes, uh, you, you take a look at those defensive performances in the semifinal there. And, uh, and it's good to see as well there's a bit, of a, bal- a bit more of a balance of, of teams that are in the state championship as compared to being outside of the Baltimore Anne's County is included in the Baltimore Metro. Queen Anne's County is considered that. Um, so it's, it's good to see that uh, there's a better mix of teams than it just being all from, say, Western Maryland and Montgomery County and maybe Southern Maryland a little bit. Yeah, full slate of games on Saturday. The 2A-1A will feature Dunbar and Patuxent. The 1A will feature two Western Conference teams, Mountain Ridge and Fort Hill. That one's at 330 and then at 7 o'clock, Damascus and Oakdale will wrap it all up uh, for the uh, state, which is going to be another amazing contest as well. So looking forward to seeing how all of that plays out. But, of course, don't forget, we're on the air Friday right here with the Maryland State 2A State Championship. The Ken Island Buccaneers punching their ticket for the very first time, and we'll have our airtime at 340 on Friday with the Roto-Rooter pregame show. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention to college. I know Mike likes to talk about that. That's next right here on Time Out with Shore Sports presented by the Preston Automotive Group. Hi, folks. David Wilson, Jr. of the Preston Automotive Group here. Did you know that we can deliver your vehicle straight to your home or office? You can view and purchase vehicles from Preston's complete inventory online at PrestonMotor.com. Preston Automotive Group is here to ensure you get exactly what you've been looking for. We can even custom order select brands straight from the source. Integrity, urgency, teamwork, personal growth, attention to detail, community. These are the core values we live by here at the Preston Automotive Group. We're family, friends, and professionals. Visit us online at PrestonMotor.com to get started today. Time out with Shore Sports presented by the Preston Automotive Group and uh, Mike Bradley along with me. And, well, I guess we got to start. It's the first time, Mike, that I ever sat down and watched from start to finish Ohio State and Michigan. Really? The first time? The wow. very first time. I've never watched a complete game because I really never cared. And uh, yeah, now I'm, I have hopes that maybe Alabama can still make the uh, national championship playoffs. So I had a vested interest there, and uh, I, was, I was very um, entertained by Michigan and the adjustments that Harbaugh made for the second half because Ohio State only got three points in that whole second half. Yeah, I mean, it really was a crazy second half. I mean, Michigan in the first half made some big plays. Uh, Ohio State was ultra-geared to stop their running game, which it ran all over them the year before. Um, so Michigan made some big plays in the passing game, both in the first half and early in the second half in that one that was certainly huge, you know, for them. And then the running game kicked in, you know, later in that second half, really, you know, early to midway through the fourth quarter. But, yeah, I mean, defensively, you know, early on, it didn't look so good. Ohio State was throwing to the edges. They have, you know, outstanding receivers there. And it's just tough to, to, to match up there against those guys in space. And then uh, getting a blitz there in time with a quick release of Stroud and those guys having some cushion because of how good they are, it just kind of negates a blitz a lot of times. And their D linemen are not uh, geared up to be run, or excuse me, uh, uh, pass rushers as much as they are run stoppers. So it wasn't looking good early on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they did a good job of just containing things. They did tackle pretty well in space. They only gave up that one big play deep down the field, and that was on a safety blitz where the corner didn't have help. 
And in addition, Ohio State got some untimely uh, got some untimely penalties on that one drive where it was like a first and thirty five. They were facing Mark, so that wasn't good. And then I, I thought, frankly, Ohio State, I know they wanted to run the football more uh, this year, and I know they've got talented backs, but to me, Mark, I would have thrown the football every time on Michigan and said just I'm going to keep going to Marvin Harrison and Abekwa and, and some of the other guys on the outside and just keep going to their strength. I think every time they ran the football in the second half, you know, Michigan's saying thank you, thank you. This portion of the podcast sponsored by For All Seasons Behavioral Health and Rape Crisis Center, providing outpatient mental health, psychiatric education, and rape crisis services to the English and Spanish-speaking communities, regardless of one's ability to pay. More info at forallseasonsinc.org. So, you know, Coram, his first time he touched the ball, you could see that he wasn't right, so he was done for the day after that one rush. But Michigan obviously had more than one running back because old number seven, he had those two long touchdown runs in the fourth quarter you mentioned, both of over 70 yards. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, Donovan Edwards is a really good back. He could catch out of the backfield as well. But, Mark, he was playing coming off with a broken hand. So, you know, their backup was not 100% either in that one. And uh, and then their third stringer is a freshman in C.J. Stokes, who, you know, just is not quite ready for that kind of game yet, although he showed some flashes. But the fact that they did it with just Donovan Edwards without a Heisman Trophy candidate and, and Blake Corum, uh, their tight end really didn't play much. Uh, he was banged up still. One of the starting defensive linemen was really, really impressive. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Michigan took advantage of some man-to-man Ohio State defenses there. And once you get past that first level, in some cases, there's no one there. And he was off to the races, and they made him pay not once but twice. Um, and that's something that, you know, Ohio State from last year, Mark, was, okay, they changed their defensive coordinator. we got to do a better job of stopping the Michigan run game. And they did in the first half. But in the second half, yeah, Michigan was able to get off a couple big plays. And it skews the numbers, but at the same time, you can't, you, know, you can't take those plays away. They happened, and they accounted for 14 points in that game. Absolutely. And it was an impressive game. And now the, the argument can begin, uh, is Michigan good enough to be number one over Georgia? And look, as much as I love my Wolverines, I'm not willing to do that because, A, Michigan played a very soft non-conference schedule. Now, based on what they did at Ohio State, I think the people <laughs> – clearly Michigan's a very good team and what they did to Penn State regardless of, of how light a non-conference schedule. But I just feel that Georgia's at a different level. They have played a tougher schedule, um, you know, top to bottom. And you saw the matchup of those two teams last year and the domination and the trenches and the speed – they're just at a different level. So I'm not willing to put them there. I know some want to because of them winning by the margin that they did at Ohio State. But, you know, that happened, you know, th- that happened late in the game. It's not like they dominated from quarter one to quarter four. That happened kind of later in the game. So, no, I'm not willing to put them at, at one. But certainly number two is well-deserved. Georgia, of course, they beat Georgia Tech 37-14. Clemson was a name that had been up there. They were number seven coming into the contest. They lost to South Carolina 31-30. Shane Beamer getting it done yet again. And uh, his second straight upset of a highly ranked team. 
Yeah, I mean, I, look, uh, hats off to South Carolina. That's the first time that in program history that they've defeated back-to-back top ten teams like that in a season. And those opportunities don't come along uh, a lot of times anyway um, for that to, to line up the way that they did. But kudos to them. I mean, if you're Clemson, though, you, know, you had an opportunity to be in the conversation even at seventh because South Carolina had beaten Tennessee the week before. So you beat South Carolina. You just added a quality win to your schedule that didn't look like that was going to be the case earlier in the year. But they blew that opportunity, and and you know, so the ACC championship. I think they're still in, but that doesn't, you know, but that doesn't matter at this point. They're done uh, with that loss, and that really hurts them. And you know, Clemson, they've dropped down a level since they won the second national championship um, under uh, under their head coach. So taking a look at the new AP rankings as they come out, Georgia is number one, Michigan number two, TCU with an impressive victory. They'll stay at number three. Uh, USC, a big, impressive win over Notre Dame. They're number four. Ohio State drops to number five. Alabama is at six. Tennessee, seven, after they just polished off uh, the Vanderbilt, like 55 nothing. Penn State creeps up to uh, eight with a four-game winning streak. Washington at nine. Clemson falls all the way to ten. LSU, who lost and got blown out by uh, Texas A&M, they fall down to 11, so they're gone. But basically, when you look at the Big 12 championship this week, um, well, you've got Michigan. Michigan's going to be taking on Purdue in the Big 10 championship game. And Purdue, by the way, isn't even ranked. All right. Uh, uh, Isn't it K-State? Aren't they playing uh, TCU? I have to take a look. I yeah. that I'm not 100 percent of who TCU plays. Yeah, so. I think I think that's how that's playing out. And then Georgia is uh, going to be playing uh, LSU. Who, LSU. Yeah. yeah. So that's the way that's going to play out. And you know, so it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out. Uh, LSU is going to play Georgia, uh, Clemson, and UNC for the ACC championship. K State is playing TCU. Uh, Utah and USC for the Pac-12. I'm, I'm just not seeing the chance for my Alabama uh, Crimson Tide to make the championship, but they'll be on a New Year's Day bowl, I guess. So they're, they're yeah, I, uh, I mean, uh, you know, not playing in a championship really hurts them. I guess if USC and TCU were to be defeated and defeated soundly, of course, USC, I think, already has a loss. Uh, TCU does not. But it's going to take losses and probably somewhat lopsided losses for Alabama to be in the conversation at that at that point. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a possibility. Um, you know, I certainly expect Michigan to win against Purdue. They should. Uh, you know, if they were to lose, would they still be in the CFP? Uh, you know, I would think they would be, but... You know, you don't want to leave it to chance, put it that way, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt about that. So uh, there's our look at college football. Oh, let's not forget, we got to talk Maryland real quick. Boy, if they'd only could have had that offensive output last week. Well, I mean, offense wasn't really the issue against Ohio State. I mean, they scored over 30 points against the Buckeyes. Um, you know, they just, uh, you know, defensively, they, they couldn't get enough stops there, and that's a really good Ohio State team. And, Maryland had what a block punt in that game that led to seven as well for Ohio State. 
Um, even though the defense did play one of their better games, they were aggressive in that one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Maryland took care of business against a team they should have. They finished the regular season 7-5. That's one more regular season win that they had last year. If they win their bowl game, and we still don't know where they're going to go bowling yet, if they win that one 8-5 and five, and 7-6 and six last year, 8-5 and five this year, if that should happen, that is progress. Now, do you lament the way that you lost to Wisconsin and Penn State? Absolutely. Should not have gotten dominated like that. Should have been competitive in those games, and they should have beaten Purdue at home. So there, there is some lament to the season. But if they finish 8-5 and five here, Mark, that's still progress for this program from where they've been. Absolutely, you'll take it. Oh, absolutely. Let's turn our attention to the NFL. This portion of the podcast sponsored by our friends at an optical galleria. You know, they have a sunglass line there known as Hook, an amazing fit for heads of all sizes and a variety of colored polarized lenses. Stop by an optical gallery in the Teal Marsh Plaza in West Ocean City on West Water Street in downtown Centerville and in downtown Easton on Harrison Street across from the Tidewater Inn. To try on a new pair of Hook sunglasses, check them out online at eisenart.net or hookoptics.com. Let's talk about my Washington Commanders. How impressive was that win yesterday over the Atlanta Falcons? Yeah, a win that was done by the defense on a day that they paid tribute to Sean Taylor. Yeah, it was a nice display. I saw their mark that they unveiled uh, prior to the game, I guess it was. And, yeah, I mean, look. You, you, you know, the Commanders have won, what, six or seven. They're one of the hottest teams, and they're, they're just getting it done. I mean, the defense is playing well for them, and you, know, you ran the football yesterday for about 150 yards, and Taylor Heineke, a couple of touchdown passes. You know, you're finding ways to win. Uh, you know, you, you nearly beat a Minnesota team that was, what, 8-1 after that game. You, know, you give a lot of credit. Started to get on a roll, and now it's snowballing in the right direction for them. And you know, you get a few wins, and you start to build that confidence, and you get more fans out for the games as well. And again, with all the controversy swirling around the organization, for them to to focus on the task at hand and play football, you give them a lot of credit uh, for what they've been doing, and and for uh, you, you know, for Ron Rivera who won his 100th career game. And you know, I, I don't think Ron Rivera is ever going to be a Hall of Fame coach. But he's a solid coach, and he's exactly what that organization needed um, for the team, and it's uh, it's paying off right now for him in a highly competitive NFC East, where Mark in, in most years seven and five, or at least recently seven and five. Hell, that might be first place for you. If the season ended right now, Philadelphia would be in the playoffs as a division champion, and Dallas, New York, and Washington would be your three NFC wildcard teams. That's crazy. I mean, how about that? <laughs> yeah. From a team, from an from a uh, conference that was the worst in the uh, a- NFC, uh, just what a year ago, two years ago, now to being the most competitive. So, uh, you know, the uh, Commanders have two straight games coming up with the Giants. They'll play in New York this week, have a bye week, and then the week after uh, they'll have the Giants at FedEx Field, and I'll be at that one too. And you mentioned the fans. They showed up yesterday. There were still some Atlanta fans there that traveled, but but the Commanders fans showed up, and uh, it was good to hear and see that place rocking yesterday uh, with the Commanders beating the Falcons 19-13. But I can't let the organization off easy. 
You know, I saw that picture. I saw a picture of the uh, statue that was unveiled. That's the way it was portrayed. It's going to be a statue. And uh, I I saw the picture, and I was going to go over. I had plans to go over during the half to check out this statue. But when I saw the picture, I was sickened. A statue to me is a Ray Lewis statue that you have outside of M&T or, or, Peyton, say, yeah. or, or a Peyton Manning statue or, or, my gosh, you could name a bunch of different statues. What they un- unveiled yesterday was sickening. That wasn't a statue. That was a freaking mannequin that had a Sean Taylor uniform on it with his you know, famous Adidas cleats. That's all that was. It was a memorial. How can you screw it up so much yet again? I mean, when they did the Sean Taylor tribute, what, last year, taking pictures in front of a stinking porta potty. You know, the guy's daughter was there yesterday. That was awesome. She was there for the coin flip. She got the coin and and paying tribute and did a lot of neat things on the Jumbotron and things like that. But to say that that is a statue, that's sickening. It is nothing more than a memorial, and Sean Taylor deserved a whole lot more than that from the commanders and the Washington organization that continue to screw up tribute after tribute after tribute. It, it just it pisses me off. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that, that you're right. There was a mannequin, not, not a statue in the way that you think, right? Lewis outside of M&T Bank Stadium, and well, I mean, that's yeah, that's unfortunately symbolic of what, uh, or another example of, of the organization and their issues uh, that they've had. And, and you're right, that's the second straight year where there's been a botch to it. I mean, it looked nice from the video, but I hadn't given it the kind of thought, though, to your point, that that is not tr- that's not truly a statue. You're right, that's a memorial. Um, now, you know, if they have a statue out in front of the stadium at some point or whatever new stadium they end up going to, then, then that's the right thing to do. But you're right, I guess the way that they, they portrayed it was inaccurate to what was uh, what was unveiled yesterday. Yeah, it just it's sickening to me. I still, I'm still a fan, still love my team, but my God, can we please get somebody in here to hurry up and purchase this team so that we can try and make things right. So uh, let's turn our attention to the Baltimore Ravens, who may not have ownership issues, but boy, they got a whole lot of other issues on that team because – uh, fans are calling for the head of Lamar Jackson. But at the same time, how can you blame him for all the snafus when they're blowing fourth quarter leads four times this year that have all resulted in losses where they've blown fourth quarter leads and end up losing the game? Well, there's a blame to go around yesterday. So, yeah, to point it all of Lamar is not fair, but you'll take a look at four red zone opportunities where they came away with little points, Mark, and that's the, that's the problem there yesterday. And some of those were at Lamar uh, for some poor passes that he had where they had to settle for field goals instead of touchdowns, and they, they should have been able to put Jacksonville away. So I think that's where that anger is directed. Now, in terms of the, the defense, they had played pretty well all day, although they made Zay Jones look like Jerry Rice. And on that final drive, I thought the coverage was way too soft. And uh, they had Zay Jones lined up against one of our, you know, fourth quarters. And I thought they should have adjusted and put Marlon Humphrey on him uh, to give ourselves a chance there because it was likely that's where the ball was going. And it was a simple out route that they threw the two-point conversion on. 
Um, the touchdown pass was to Marvin Jones, and that I, I don't quite understand the ruling on that one. I, it didn't seem like a touchdown to me, but uh, there was plenty of blame to go around yesterday. We there was a fumble by uh, Gus Edwards, who was back off an of injury, and he uh, that that touch there, excuse me, that turnover uh, led to a field goal. That those three points are very valuable in a one point loss like that. And so there were issues, and the fact that they even had a chance with Justin Tucker, I mean, he came up one yard short of kicking, you know, a 67-yarder. is unbelievable that we even had a chance with him. But, yeah, there's a lot of blame to go around in that one yesterday, and uh, it's, uh, it's unfortunate and a lost opportunity. This team now has blown, what, four fourth-quarter uh, leads, and, you know, it's, it's going to cost them in terms of likely seeding and, who knows? It could cost them a division. They, they're tied right now. They had the head-to-head on Cincinnati. Um, but, yeah, there are issues there, and there's still not a clear picture with Lamar Jackson as to whether he's worth all that money or, you know, is it that he just needs a stud receiver to help him out in the passing game or do they need a new offensive coordinator who could better call plays? Because, Mark, yesterday in the first half, there were a number of plays that got in late, and they were down to literally zero before they snapped the football. Yeah, that's been a consistent problem for sure. But, you know, as, as bad as the uh, Ravens have had it, boy, nobody's got it as bad as Denver uh, with what they've got on. You've got players arguing now and calling out uh, Russell Wilson with his lack of pay. I mean, he got – or lack of play. He got paid, and he is not producing this year. Yeah, there's uh, there's some major issues there. When your defense starts to turn on you, then uh, you're losing the team as a head coach. And the the, the bottom line is, uh, and I don't know, uh, we yeah, I wasn't there. We weren't there for the interview hiring or the interview process. That is, but you know, Nathaniel Hackett, a quarterbacks coach with Green Bay, with Aaron Rodgers in the room, it just uh, you have to wonder that you know, did he get credited with way too much success? And the thought that well, he'll come in here with Russell Wilson and do wonders. The problem is is that just because you're an offensive coach doesn't mean that you're a good head coach. And I don't know why offensively they're having issues between the two of them, uh, given the fact that you know, Russell Wilson's used to running a West Coast offense. That's what Hackett's running. So I, can't, I don't understand that, but Hackett did give up the play-calling uh, duties to Clint Kubiak last week. Points-wise, that still didn't help over the last two weeks. So they got major issues there. And when you go all in on a quarterback like that for some $200 million, then you got issues with the offense isn't performing. And there's nowhere to go but to have to make changes around Wilson because Wilson is going nowhere. No, no, he sure isn't. All right, this final uh... – uh, part of the podcast is sponsored by our friends at Queenstown Bank, your hometown community bank, serving the midshore for over 120 years, convenient online and in-person banking. Plus, they have money to lend. Get more info at queenstownbank.com or any Queenstown Bank location. Once again, let's finish with the Maryland State 2A championship. Looking forward to that. How cool would it be? Yeah, last week we blasted the uh, Ken Island fans. They weren't a full house this week, but it was better. It was better, Mark. And certainly there is no reason for the uh, fan base not to turn out for this one. I mean, it's right across the bridge, Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. You couldn't get it any better other than having it be at Kent Island. So I would certainly expect that the Stevensville community, the Kent Island community, uh, should turn out in full force for that one. And I hope, and I, I realize that you know, the other schools 
aren't directly invested, but I would hope that other Bayside schools um, or, or at least football programs, coaches, whatever it may be, a little bit of both, I would hope that if they all, if they at all could, that they also come out and support an island because a championship from the Bayside, a state football championship from the Bayside, makes all these teams look much better. So you ought to be pulling for Cat Island. Even if you're Queen Anne's, this may be the one time where you do pull for Cat Island because this makes the Bayside better and gives it more attention. I, I would agree with you. And if you're not going, don't forget – you can listen on 94.3 Winks FM. You can also listen on your phone or on your computer at forevermidshore.com. Just click on the Winks FM radio link and then listen live. You can also find that link at shoresportsmd.com right there at the top of the page. You'll see where you scroll down a little bit if you're on your phone and you can click on the link. It takes you right to the listen live spot. Uh, or you can download the free forever radio app. Do that and then you can listen on your phone. You can go to the game and still listen right there on the app to be able to hear the call as well. It'll be myself, Coach Damian Ferragamo, Mike Bradley, and Olivia Hensley. We will have that call this Friday. Uh, Queen Anne's County just needs to go ahead and just close school because I can tell you, they're not going to get anything accomplished to Kent Island High School on Friday other than, I hope, a pep rally. Yeah, no, I Mark, in all seriousness, you're absolutely right. I, I think that that ought to be a day of, of, of celebration and support. And for the players themselves, there's no way they'll be concentrating on schoolwork. So that's just not going to happen. I agree. I think if, if at all they can pull that off because, you know, these things don't happen often. Yeah, there are a few, there are a few programs like a Fort Hill, like a, like a Wise, uh, you know, that, that are able to uh, go to the state championship, uh, you know, on, on a regular occasion. But outside of them, it's very rare. So for Kent Island, yeah, you need to be there because who knows the next time. It's been 13 years. Hopefully it won't be another 13, but you just never know. So I'm with you. Pep rally, full support, and uh, and let the players, frankly, let them enjoy that and, and let them focus on the game that afternoon. Tickets are $10 to get in. They have to buy your ticket online. You can find that link at mpssaa.org, or your school will be putting that information out as well. And, of course, you'll be able to listen right on 94.3 Winks FM, forevermidshore.com, and on the free Forever Radio app. Thanks for joining me today, Mike. And, hey, next week we'll recap the state championship game, but it's also the time to start winter sports games will start a week from uh, monday so on the 5th of december uh, we'll have the season starting with high school basketball boys and girls wrestling indoor track and field as well as swimming that starts next week and don't forget the final power poll which combines regular season and playoff football that will be out and uh, looking forward to putting that out so we can discuss that as well. Shoresportsmd.com is where you'll find that power poll as well as other stuff as well as we'll be adding to that over the coming weeks. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share. Let everybody know that we are here just for you. You've been listening to the Time Out with Shore Sports podcast with Mark Potter and Mike Bradley, presented by the Preston Automotive Group. Look for another timeout soon here on ShoresportsMD.com.